Okay, third, third, third time to three is a magic number. This is Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. I am your host, Lone Might, and welcome to a special crossover episode of Third Time's a Charm. Today we're talking Lone Wolf and Cub Part 3, Baby Cart to Hades from 1972 with some very special guests, the hosts of Too Fast, Too Forever, Joey Lewandowski and Joe Two. I'm excited as can be to have them both back here at the same time again. Last time the show crossed over with Too Fast was the epic three-part event for Tokyo Drift that also included high school slumber party host Brian Rodriguez. The last time Joey was here alone was all the way back in the very first episode of this program when we went over Superman 3, Dawn of Gus. Joe, too, was just here a few episodes ago talking time-traveling Ninja Turtles who became Samurai in the Edo period, which seems very appropriate for our episode today. Joe, too, may become my martial arts consultant if this keeps up. Before we get into today's show, be sure to head over to Too Fast, Too Forever to hear the three of us talk about Shogun Assassin, a.k.a. the mashup of Lone Wolf and Cub Parts 1 and 2, localized with new music new voiceover, and a new perspective. Also, be sure to contribute to their Patreon if you want to hear us talk about the next movie in the franchise, Lone Wolf and Cub 4, Baby Cart in Peril. And let me just say, having already recorded that episode, you're going to want to hear it. It's quite possibly the most controversial episode I've been a part of yet. Now, without any further ado, grab your one-year-old son, arm his baby carriage to the teeth, and set out on the demon road to hell, because it's time to be an assassin for hire. Welcome back to Third Time's a Charm and the second crossover event with Too Fast, Too Forever. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the show. So Too Fast, Too Forever, Too Crossover? Ooh, that's right. We're going to we gotta do a third one in the future. Exactly. Thanks for having us, as always. 
Yes, so we have collectively the Joes from Too Fast, Too Forever, but separately we have my longtime podcast partner over there on the Cage Club Network. We have Joey Lewandowski. Welcome back, Joey. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time since I've been on Third Time's a Charm. This other Joe has been on more recently than I have. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you were both on for the Tokyo Drift crossover, like I mentioned, but Joey, you were the very first guest on this show. Sure was. Even before people thought the show might end after three years, back when we thought... (laughs) Back when book club was a thing, but that had to go. And (laughs) I wanted to maybe revive it this time because I read some of the manga, but there's not a lot of words in manga. So like, what was I going to do? Just sort of describe the drawings? Anyway, also on that other side of the coin, we have Joe 2. Welcome back, Joe too. Thank you for having me. As always, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to talk more samurai things, which is weird that it worked out like that, but alas, that's what we're doing. Exactly. So you were here recently talking about the Ninja Turtles, and uh, they were pretty much uh, tossed back in time to this period, it seems, the Edo period, I think it was. Uh, They very well could have run into Lone Wolf and Cub. Pretty much. Very cool to have you guys here. You know, this is all part of the massive crossover of the Shogun Assassin Lone Wolf retrospective going on as part of your lap. And uh, since there's, you know, three of these, at least three of these Lone Wolf and Cub movies, we're here talking about Baby Cart to Hades. Great title. Great title, by the way. Excellent title. I tried to pronounce the actual, like, literal translation of the Japanese title. It's Wolf with Child in Tow, Perambulator Against the Winds of Death. (laughs) So, doesn't quite flow off the tongue. No, not quite. Is it not true that this movie is also a part two? This is Shogun Assassin 2. Do you guys have any words on that? I finally watched the first two Lone Wolf and Cub, which is combined to make Shogun Assassin before I watched this. I would assume, I don't think anybody uses those Shogun Assassin 2 through 5 titles because there's six Lone Wolf and Cub movies. I think they're probably only for marketing purposes back in like the 80s. Like when people see Shogun Assassin, they're like, oh, I want to see the next one. And they see like Lone Wolf and Cub 3. Like that doesn't correlate, right? Like why would I go from 1 to 3? So I think they probably just renamed it with 2 through 5 because they all have like cool titles but it's the same movie they never do another shogun assassin from what i know and like recut things or recontextualize anything i think it's the same literally just the straight up same movie just with a different title i think for the american audience like in the 80s because these all came out early 70s yeah and it came to america in 1980 so i'm assuming like these all came shortly thereafter and it was just an easy way for them to figure out what to watch next Interesting, interesting from like a marketing standpoint and everything. It almost has like that, what happened to the Final Fantasy games when they came over, like they sort of skipped two of the Nintendo ones and then the first Super Nintendo became Final Fantasy 2 in America. Mm. But then eventually those other games came out in some form of another. So they had to like renumber everything eventually down the line. Or, or also when like, yeah, two different titles are used to sort of market the same thing. And then down the line, those properties merge. I know, again, with video games that happened with like, I think, Dragon Warrior and Dragon Quest. And now everything is just Dragon Quest or something. Interesting. Okay, good. I'm glad that's clarified because I got a little worried that, you know, I had to do this all over again with like Shogun. Assassin 3, which is actually Lone Wolf and Cub 4, and it's like, no, we're just going to stop here. We're good to go. 
All right. Well, as it is on this show, I like to give just a little bit of a plot summary for us before we dive into the movie itself. Mm -hmm. Not that we necessarily have to talk about it in any specific order, but it'll just give us a chance to sort of refresh what we watched. The best I can, I will give I will give an update on what is going on with uh, Ogami and Daigoro. When we first meet them, they're on a boat looking for passage, and we encounter this woman who will become important later, who has been sold into prostitution, we find yeah. out. Our traveling duo on the road run into a group of swordsmen that have banded together to form the Watari Kaichi, I believe they call themselves. Among them is a very stoic one named Kanbei. Please, if my pronunciations aren't exact, forgive me. This guy like does not want to be in with this lot, but he is anyway. Uh, these guys turn out to rape a woman and her mother on the side of the road. Kembe kind of cleans up the whole situation and sort of arranges this whole perfect situation for them to get away with it. But Lone Wolf and Cub come wandering along and get mixed up in everything. He is recognized by Tambe and requests a duel. But Ito Ogami calls it a draw before it begins and says that he wants this guy to go on and become a samurai. True samurai. A true samurai. They go and take refuge at an inn where we meet the woman who has been sold into slavery from the boat. She murders the guy who bought her, who is going to then hand her over to the brothel by biting his tongue out when he forces himself upon her. I don't know of anyone ever dying that way, but I'll just, you know, I'll take it for dramatic effect. Wiki says he died of shock. That's what, that's the official cause of death, I guess. Okay. I could see that. I could see that. She takes refuge in Lone Wolf and Cub's room where uh, Ito Ogami kind of protects her when the madam comes in to collect. Her name is Torizo. She is uh, wielding two pistols and she demands to hand over the woman, but the lone wolf says no, he will take the punishment for her. He survives water torture. He survives being beaten to hell on a wheel. They remark at his inhuman stamina. They all seem to kind of want his help. And so Torizo actually hires him because her father requests his help in tracking down a ex-member of the Takigawa clan who has turned on them and become a governor. His name is Sawatari. So Lone Wolf accepts this job to go and assassinate this governor. And on his way, he is summoned by Sawatari and then asked to do a job, but he denies the request this time because he is already there to kill that man. Is it to kill the same guy? I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. So he is hired by the guy that he is hired to kill. Okay. Yeah. And that guy wants him to kill the old guy that was trying to kill him, right? Like the other guy just beat him to it. The first guy wants him to kill the second guy. The second guy wants him to kill a different person altogether. Okay. I thought that he wanted him to kill the first guy. No, he wants him to basically kill like the next guy who's on top of him as like governor. He wants him to kill the guy on top so that he will climb the ladder and be part of the uh, the clan next to the Shogun. Yeah, they're both self-serving assassination requests. Fair enough. That makes sense. What's interesting about the one that Lone Wolf is on is that the guy that he's doing this job for is the father of the madam, Torizo, but he is also, he was part of the same clan. He remembers him from being an executioner, and in fact... This guy, Tadawaki, sort of had to help someone kill themselves, like Harikiri. And then when the lone wolf was the shogun's assassin, he accidentally chops this dude's arm off because he's like in the way of helping to assist with the suicide and everything. So like, that's how he knows him. I thought that was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. After lone wolf, you know, denies the governor's request, the governor's like, oh, okay, I get it. He's here to kill me. He just wanted to get a good look at like my bodyguards. And, out. and so after a ninja attack, he has to take care of all the bodyguards for the governor. And one of them is this pistol wheel 
wielding gunslinger guy. Lots of guns in this movie. Lots of guns. And Daigoro sort of serves as a diversion, pretends to be drowning in the river so that the guy would take off his uh, hardware and then, uh, yeah, he's caught off guard. And so they're all pretty much dealt with until the end when the governor amasses like an army of people to go after Lone Wolf and Cub and he faces down this entire sort of army on the hill. We learn that he has converted his cart into a Gatling gun. Yeah. He has grenades. He just goes on a one-man warpath and slices his way all the way through all of these people and kills everybody in his wake. And then at the very end, the guy from the beginning comes back for the actual duel. He's like, I gotta do this duel now, you know? I decided it's time. And he is uh, dealt with extremely quickly. But then at the end, they ponder what is a true samurai anyway. And then it's uh, on to healing. And then the next quest. That's pretty much it. Tried to wrap it up as best as I could. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think that that sums it up. That whole description, Mike, reminds me of like the times I would feel a relief on a Hanks for the Memories or a Cruise Club where like I'm like, oh, I don't have to do the complicated story anymore. Like, because this isn't like a complicated story, but like you can make it super complicated if you want. But like when we were alternating the wildly difficult descriptions on that show and I had like, okay, so here's a Mission Impossible movie where there's like 18 moving parts and there's like 24 <laughs> different characters. And then you're like, yeah, then Hanks just, you know, sits in an airport for a while and that's the movie. It's like, God damn it. Like, but then every once in a while you would get a complicated one. I was feeling a sigh of relief just now as I did not have to sum up what this movie was about. It's funny too, like I'm starting to kind of notice maybe a bit of a pattern to these. I mean, we're only three deep and all, but he stops like an attack. So we know that he's still kind of like not a complete bad yep. guy. Then he's like at an inn where he receives a mission and then he gets like a decoy mission or something like that. And at the end, he just like kills everybody. At the end, he <laughs> kills everyone. Yes. So like, I think I was a little more knew what to look for and pick out what was going to be important and stuff like that. My first question for you guys, you know, are you feeling any kind of fatigue? with these movies yet you know watching them so close in a row well a little bit the bigger issue that i have with this one rather than fatigue because like i think overall it's pretty good and I, I like the ending a lot like the final battle is awesome and i was getting shades of the crazy 88s and kill bill i agree where it's one versus a many but my bigger issue is like the first like 20 minutes of the movie which again this is an 89 minute movie there's like so little lone wolf and cub and like not only that yep. but like it's scene after scene of like brutal rape and attack and subjugation of women and like even when they show up, they're just kind of hanging out. And I'm like, get to something. Like, I don't mind if they're not doing much, but like, they're not even on screen for a lot of it. And so to have a movie literally called Lone Wolf and Cub or whatever crazy Japanese translation you had earlier, Mike, they're not in the movie a ton. Then eventually they get there. But like, I was underwhelmed a little bit because this is the first one that, you know, we had talked about on our first episode over on Too Fast about how we largely knew Lone Wolf and Cub 2 because that's most of Shogun Assassin. We knew parts of one and one was exciting because there's new stuff. But like, this was the first one with all brand new and I was like wait this that's it like that's eventually I got there but like for a while I was like this is kind of disheartening I agree with you I think it starts a lot slower than both the first two that we saw and Shogun Assassin obviously but tonally I think that this movie is wildly different than the first two this pretty much is like a cowboy western movie to me like it plays out just like a western that I was like I don't know how I feel about it and now I need to watch the rest to see if like they take that shift but like the way that this want to set up like when you're doing the plot description he meets the guy in the beginning asks for a duel he says no we come full circle they have the duel at the end what's the deeper meaning behind this duel i was like that's like all of these john wayne clint eastwood cowboy movies right to me so i was like i don't know I, it kind of lost some of the samurai stuff and you said you know there's a ton of guns in this one this was a 
super rapey one, like Joey said. Like, there was, like, multiple aggressive rape scenes, and not, like, the one we got in the first one, where he's, like, kind of, like, protecting her. Yeah, it felt very different for being the third one, and, like, and being in a row, we said they were made so close together. I was like, wow, this one feels a lot different to me. Yeah, because, like, Mike, I'm interested to hear what you have to say as the third-time expert, because it feels like when you go to a third one, especially for, like, the type of story this is, right? Like, we talked about on the first episode how it's, like, based on 27 or whatever mangas, and it's 8,700 pages, and there's all these stories. You can kind of pick and choose the ones you want to do. And for it to go so tonally different, as Joe just described, and also to be a story that, like, they're kind of just passive participants in, it feels like why are you doing like I can see like if this was like the fifth or the sixth one I'd be like okay yeah I kind of I kind of see that more but to be so early on in the thing one is his sort of revenge kind of or whatever and then two is he's haunted by the thing and then this it's like he just you know it's just like an episode of the week like it's just like a standalone kind of mission yeah you're not wrong it does kind of feel like a maybe an episode of the tv show you know and that might be i wonder did they have this many planned out to begin with it feels a little bit like they're stalling you know perhaps that there's stuff that they want to get to but they have to sort of like wait but i hear all your concerns and i felt them too i definitely felt that the tonal shift like i don't feel like any stakes in this one at all really you know like there's no real like sense of urgency that there was really in the first two or that he's gonna lose ever well that's totally out of the question now after the last movie as well is like he's pretty much you know invincible you know a lot of my concerns with it too is that they're not thinking of too many new things for him to do like the like you were pointing out about the beginning of the movie it's kind of retreading the first two movies a lot where it's like people like you said getting assaulted on the side of the road and he's just sort of seeing this and like you know it's a lot of this I guess world building you know around him but that's not exactly what I want to see either I want to see everything sort of from there perspective and it's kind of odd when we're sort of introduced to Kambe who's like sitting with these swordsmen and we're like with it's like their movie for a while and it's like no it's kind of taking too much time away from them another thing is that jumped out at me is like the kids walking around now you know like he's way older he got way bigger yeah I thought that too but he had a growth spurt but like I think this came out in the same year so like I don't know I don't know I don't know like it feels more commercial or more like there's a lot less blood spraying if you notice that they save a lot of that stuff till the end a lot less killing in general yeah it does feel sort of like it's not exactly running out of steam you know because there are sort of new and interesting things like it does sort of change with the times the way that like part threes do so like the introduction of the guns and all that kind of stuff and sort of like leveling up his cart and that kind of thing and he's not just fighting three guys at the end of this he's fighting you know 50 guys at the end of this but like what going to happen in the next one i don't know whichever one of you said it was like this feels like it should have come later is kind of right like at least that climax because i don't know where they could really take it from there he's gonna have to take on like an entire country like that's not to say i didn't enjoy this one either it just was less than what i was expecting from lone wolf and cub i still really liked it as a samurai flick and i liked the action and all that kind of stuff as well however yeah it does feel like they're shifting gears in a certain direction like they're trying to go a little more general audience as opposed to just like crazy hardcore samurai fans it just doesn't feel like an r rating anymore it feels more pg-13 
We look at everything from a perspective... Well, I look at everything, like, when I'm watching movies like this, you tell me there's six of them. I'm looking at them from, like, the Fast and Furious perspective. And I'm always thinking, like, you need a bigger bad. So, like, like you were just saying, you know, like, he fights 50 guys at the end of this. But I don't think they made the bigger bad leap here by just adding guns and the 50 guys. Like, the ending was great. And that was like, oh, I wish the whole movie would have been more like the ending. Because I liked the whole fight scene at the end, and then the blood spray, and, like, everything I liked from the first two. We were talking on our episode about Shogun Assassin, and I hadn't seen the other two yet, and you guys were really hype on Lone Wolf 1 and 2. And I went back and watched them, I was like, oh man, these are great. And when I watched this, I was like, man, I wish they really would have Shogun Assassin this, and just cut, like, that end scene, and then given us, like, part of four or five, I don't know, I don't know, because I haven't seen them yet, but given us, like, a more condensed version of that, and it might have made it feel better for us. Like, I think that there is a kind of logical progression from the last movie to this one in terms of the gun stuff, because yeah. we were talking about in the first two movies, like, there's just, like, one guy with a gun, and now it seems like everybody has guns. Like, to your point from last time, Joe, like, maybe, you know, Japan opened, or they got the blueprints, or they got the internet, or whatever, and now, like, everybody, like, even Ito has guns, right? Like, they're just, he's got, like, 12 guns in his, his cart. Like, I really wonder, because we're going to cover the fourth one on our Patreon feed at TooFastToForever.com as a, another continuation of the crossover, and I wonder if there is a story in there that you could to your point, Joe, like if you could Shogun Assassin in with this and make that Shogun Assassin too and have them combine into a thing. Like, I don't know if I want it. Like, I don't mind this. Like, I was doing a little bit of advanced scouting, right? Like, I was looking on Letterboxd the average ratings and these aren't like wildly popular movies, but they all have an average rating between like 3.5 and 3.8 or 9. Like, they're all like, hey, this is a good movie. Like, okay. they're all across the board like that. And so it's not like, oh, that fourth one sucks or like they get worse as they go on. It's just like, yeah, they're about the same the entire way through. Through. So I was like, okay, cool. But like, I don't know where you go. And we're not going to, we have, at least we don't currently have plans to cover five or six or anything, but I'm going to watch those. And you guys were saying earlier that you know that Ito by now is is invincible, basically. Like, he's not going to die in four or five. And I think that's one of the downsides of having hindsight in a way. It's like, we know that there's six movies with them. He can't die because it's not like Cubs Vengeance or whatever, <laughs> yes. right? Like, yeah, yeah. So he might die in six. I have no idea. But I, just, I, I don't know where they're going to go. And it's almost like we have like a test it's like not enough information like i don't know how to really talk about this movie fully because <laughs> i don't know where it goes and if it's just a standalone thing i'm a i'm a little disappointed like it's not bad but just it's not what i was hoping for this is gonna sound weird but like i ran into this situation with the harry potter movie right because i just covered part three i ended up covering part four with brian on on his program four is the best that's my favorite oh my god i love goblet of fire but it's not a trilogy it's part of yeah. a series you know so like usually when you're dealing with something that is a trilogy it wasn't pre-planned for the most part at least originally you know like they didn't expect to make three of them and now let's sort of like close this up let's like seal it in a nice bow or something like a series doesn't do that it's like not it's not structured that way and so I wonder there's information that we don't have that's still coming towards us and I'm not used to being in a situation where I'm reviewing a movie series in order that I haven't watched yet you know so I'm like kind of here like anxious and wondering what is going on in the future of these series and it's like because yeah what's he gonna do like fight a dragon yeah. <laughs> yeah. Godzilla crossover there you go I don't see that happening it's kind of harder to analyze in terms of like a trilogy and at the same time not knowing what's coming it's hard to sort of analyze as a series and like I wonder why they stop too like I wonder if there's just waning interest if there's waning box office if they ran out of money if the actors and the writers and whatever were like no we don't want to do anymore because it does feel like the kind of thing where it's like oh yeah they did like 300 episodes of that thing right like because you could just tell any story you want yeah 
Yeah, and the cub doesn't have to be a kid in everything, no. you know? I feel like maybe they wanted to start over with age-appropriate actors and stuff, and so that's where maybe the TV series comes into play. But, I mean, I would watch Lone Wolf and Cub until he became an old man and the cub became a young man or something like that, right? I mean... And then you just reboot it and start all over again. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. What if Cub has a kid, right? And now he is the wolf. Like, yeah, keep it going. It's totally fine. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm totally feeling that with you, Joey, that these could have been James Bond, right? Like, they could have just ran forever. And you could just replace Lone Wolf and Cub. Like, whatever you needed to do, there could have been 20, 30, 40 of these. And it wouldn't have mattered. You have the source material in the comic. So, like, if there's 27 episodes of that, you could at least make 27 episodes of this. And you could go anywhere beyond that you want to anyways, right? Like, sky's the limit here. So, yeah, I don't know why we stopped at six, but it's kind of weird to see. I was also looking up, because we didn't talk about this on the first one, as a little bit of backstory, there's not really any IMDb trivia. The wiki pages for these are not very fleshed out. Like, the plots are incredibly detailed. So detailed to the point where, like, wikis even added the, hey, this is a little too detailed. Do you want to scale this back? Like, hey, please help us, because it's, like, it's verbatim almost what happens. Like, we don't need this much detail. Like, they're longer than a Bond movie, and the Bond movies are, like, twice as long as this sometimes, right? So, like, it's crazy. But I did look up the writers and the directors. So the writer of these wrote all six, and coincidentally, which we should have brought up on our show, he also wrote, or is one of three people who have a writing credit on the two Lady Snowblood movies. Makes sense. big in the Japanese cinema movement of the 70s, right? Yeah. The director of this, Kenji Masumi, did one through three, so the three we've done, and then he comes back for five. But he doesn't do four, and he doesn't do six. Very Justin Lin of him. I guess, but like, why would you... (laughs) It's weird that you would come back and then leave again. Well, maybe because of like kind of what we're talking about is like they wanted to mix it up and change it. And they're like, eh, it's getting a little like stale. Let's get a new director in. Maybe he'll add some new life into it. And then he maybe he doesn't. And, you know, and then they're like, well, let's get the other guy back. He, you know, at least he's reliable and consistent. And then they're like, OK, this one's OK. Let's let's try another guy again. You know, like, I don't know. That's just sort of if I was if I was a suit, that would be sort of my thought process on it. So with that in mind, do you think just based on that type of thinking as your metaphorical suit, which of the next three do you think is going to be the best? Either five or six. Like, I'm, I'm expecting the next one to be the worst. And, like, I hate to say stuff like that, you know what I mean? But it's just, like, kind of this gut feeling that I have. Yeah, you don't bring back the original guy after one movie where he's gone unless it's bad, right? Or, like, it's just like, oh, that didn't work. Let's get the other guy back. Yeah, it seems like that. Or maybe the guy just got kind of, you know, wanted to try some other stuff for a while and then he was ready to come back. No, these are so quick that, like, maybe he just had, like, another obligation. That's the other thing, yeah, because the first four all come out in 72. And then the the fifth one comes out in 73. So, like, maybe he's like, I don't want to make four of these this year. Like, I can only do three. I'll do one next year. Yeah. Yeah, because it's also kind of rare that even nowadays you get the same director directing every movie in a franchise. That would be amazing, you know? It'd be great for, like, you know, continuity or whatever. Consistency. Yeah. But it does seem like franchises kind of get, like, their guy, right? Like Joe mentioned that Fast Furious has Justin Lin, and the Mission Impossible movies now have Christopher McQuarrie. Marvel kind of has the Russo brothers, and they kind of have, like, doled out specific franchises, like, kind of specific guys. So, like, it's rare, I think, to have, like, the one auteur do all of them. This guy also, like, I, I've heard of these. I've never seen any of these. There's the Zaitochi movies. There's, like, 30 of them or something. Zatoichi? Yeah, the Blind Swordsman. 
sure. This guy, the director did like three or four of those too, just kind of like randomly throughout the middle of them. So like he, I guess that's more of like a director by committee too. Makes sense. Yeah, that tracks. Those are pretty famous too. <laughs> you make there even a thing that people don't care about, right? Well, I mean, that's funny you say that because you, like, you look at the distributor. I didn't realize this is uh, distributed by Toho, you know, and, and Godzilla is their main sure. man. And, you know, look, they were during the 70s, especially they were releasing like one a year. Like they were on a roll rounding up some Godzilla there. Did they have all different directors, Mike, or do they have like a, a couple people do a bunch of them? They, I think there's only like three in that original run in the uh, first sort of set, like first 15. Wow. The majority of the Godzilla movies were Ishiro Honda, who did the original, and then Jun Fukuda, who did uh, a lot of the other ones. And then there's one or two maybe sprinkled in there who did like one, I think, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster one, like one of my favorites. I think they got a longtime producer. They gave him a chance to direct a Godzilla movie. And while it's like one of my favorite, they were like, what have you done? They're like, you are never going to ever direct another Godzilla movie ever again. And they went back to like their old reliable director who just continued to work through that first like original series. So, you know, it, that kind of stuff happens, I guess. Something that we didn't talk about that I wanted to bring up, and I mentioned it to you guys earlier in the chat, you guys totally did not tell me about how many cool songs that they have in these movies. In the first one, we get a song about dropping hard turds that is sung multiple times. Incredible. We really enjoyed that. There's the second one has a song about radishes. And in this one, we have a spinning torture song, which was also really fun. It feels like there's a musical number in every one of these, and I was really on board with it. What did you guys think? Yeah, you know, it's quite a different soundtrack than Shogun Assassin to begin with. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I liked the, like, just seeing more, I guess that's more from sort of Daigoro's perspective. Like, he's picking up on the songs. I think at one point we hear him learning how to count Mm -hmm. as well it's kind of cool i like that as part of like the world building it's an interesting little detail that just reminds you of sort of like moments of innocence and things that sort of will cater to the cub more i guess than to the wolf in the song at the very end of this one the like title song was that in the previous ones, or did they just wait till three to drop this fucking banger on us at the end? Because, like, the closing song of this one was so good. So, Joey, we're no stranger to this. This seems like, it's like their theme song. Yeah. It seems like a song written about the movie we just watched, sort of summing up how much ass they kick. Like an Amos and Andrews style? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Suburban Nightmare. The music is great, but I want to go back a second to, like, the Cub sort of things. Like, one of my favorite moments in this movie is that, like, he kind of has this whole, like, little subplot where he's, like, kind of battling bugs outside, I guess? Do you remember this? Yeah, there's, like, cicadas in, like, of something. Yeah. I didn't think he was battling them. He's just, like, looking at them. I don't know. Like, I got the impression that he was, like, sussing out his enemies. Because there's, like, cicadas and there's grasshoppers and there's, like, whatever. Like, and, training like... his focus kind of situation. I think he was like, yeah, like role-playing kind of war in a way. Like, these are my enemies. I'm going to go after them. Like, he sees, like, the little bugs or whatever. Like, okay. I, I just appreciated that. I liked it. You're right. There was a ton of bugs. Praying mantis, cicadas, whatever kind of wacky things, beetles and shit. Yeah. And then you see there's there's this one really ominous shot where um, something's going on, and they just cut to the kid in the cart, and he's testing out all the knives on it. Yeah. He's, like, making sure, like, they all go out properly and stuff. I was like, okay. 
Okay, <laughs> that's very unnerving, actually. Yeah, he's going to do some killing for sure. I'm glad you remembered to bring up those songs, Joe, because I did want you to mention that. Uh, I don't think we intentionally tried to keep that from you in the other episode. There is just so much stuff to talk about. I think there's not enough music in these. I really love when it comes in with the horns and everything like that, but it's just, it's very scarce, and I felt like everything was just really toned back in this one. I want to get into some favorite moments quickly. I, I just want to start with my favorite moment, um, because the whole movie, I was like, where's the blood? It's not spraying and all this stuff, and at the very end... The blood literally sprays on the camera lens and covers the entire screen as if to say, here you go. We know you waited the entire movie for some blood, so like we're just going to give you a bit. And then the final thing is um, when he kills the other samurai during the duel at the very end, we get the head rolling camera point of view. So nice. And what looks to be like some kind of an effect shot of just the severed head, like looking over at the majesty of Lone Wolf and Cub as he's passed away. Pretty great stuff. Do you guys have any other moments that really sort of jumped out at you? I like the blood coming out of his stomach, like the full hose situation in the middle of that one, too. That was really awesome. He has like a whole flashback during his death. It's like the longest death sequence. And he's like, he's like, don't pull out the sword yet. I got to tell you a story. (laughs) Joey, you know what this felt like to me? What? A Young Rock episode. Like as soon as he was like, I have one question to ask you. And then we go on this like six minute journey of like him telling a whole backstory. I was like, oh my God, this is like the exactly how Young Rock is written every episode. (laughs) Yep. It felt so weird. I was like, oh God, he was alive for a long time. So there's a couple things I like. I like the cub versus the bugs, or maybe that's not what's happening. Who knows? I like the battle at the end, like the reveal of the guns. But I think my favorite moment that we've not touched on at all yet is when they're trying to kill the sharpshooter and they use cub as bait and he's like flailing in water. And the guy's like, oh my God, I need to save this little kid because he was just over there clapping at my marksmanship. Like he's my, he's my number one fan. I gotta go rescue him. And like, he's just like flailing in water and the guy dives in and is swimming and then cub just stands up and the water's like six inches deep. And I'm like, I wonder, like, how did this guy not realize that like this water like you can see the bottom of it and then he's like oh no i know what this is and he starts sprinting back and then that's when wolf cuts him but i was like i love that cub like again we've talked about how he has kills like he has blood on his hands here he's just like an accessory to murder but like he does a good job he does a great job yeah it's like paper moon that's what it's have you guys ever seen paper moon they're a con artist team you know they're like matchstick men sometimes or something like he's so in on it like he doesn't know any other world right so like he's gonna be a master at this when he when he's his dad's age sure i think that playing off of joey's like one of his favorite moments one of mine that i really thought that that's where that scene was going is that they have just a casual watermelon in this movie that doesn't ever do anything there's just like a watermelon that exists on the porch and he like puts the hat on it and i really thought that in the water i had to rewind like i thought that in the water they had put the watermelon like the hat on the watermelon and that's what he trapped him with i know earlier there's scenes of the bandit swordsmen are eating watermelons earlier and i know like watermelons are i think they were like very expensive you know so like if you had one like you wouldn't waste it and it's so like i just thought like those guys stole theirs or came upon it criminally but i was like wow that's a great moment like it would be a good poster or like something for the back of the box where you just see like this hat on a watermelon and like what the hell <laughs> i have a question for you guys when he discovers the one-armed man wants to hire him to kill the governor and 
he's talking and, and she's like, look, like, this is my dad. Like, I'm his daughter. And she's like, I had a twin and twins are abhorrent. And they never bring up why twins are so bad again. <laughs> why were twins so awful? I would imagine, and this is mixing cultures, I don't know if this is right, but you know, like in China, they had the one baby mandate for so long. I just assume that like in the greater area, again, this is maybe wildly incorrect, that like they just also had like restrictions and that maybe there's something immoral about it or like against God that like it would be like this kind of mute. I have, I have no idea, but I'm like, all right, sure. My bigger concern was the woman at the beginning of the movie who had like those black teeth agreed i'm like i don't know what those teeth are at like i wrote down nightmare teeth like i I was like i was terrified by those i think that that as well is like a status symbol i think it was is it really i think it was like those are grills of of ancient japan you would blacken your teeth you blacken them yeah it's like makeup you do it intentionally and then they know that you're of like a certain wealth or class i believe i could be wrong about that oh preserve teeth into old age that's what they did it for so they're just showing you that she's like much older than the other girl i think that that's what they're using it for because she's the mom because that's a mother-daughter duo that gets attacked and yeah yeah so it's sort of shorthand to be like she's the elder of the two oh man um i think uh, about the twin thing though uh, if i'm not mistaken like japan's a pretty superstitious society and this is you know pretty long ass time ago and if i'm not mistaken there's even office buildings without 13th floors listed on them in japan and stuff yes well here too right so this could just be like a crazy superstitious thing it's like two of the same soul in different you know like like ah get rid of it like what's going on there's only supposed to be one and Mike, you seem like you were right, too. They say that, like, in the Meiji period, they used it because they thought the lacquer was beautiful. So it was just, like, makeup. The teeth. The teeth thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think it's gross. It was fucking weird. I agree. <laughs> I mean, we never address it. <laughs> Pretty cool ninjas in this one, you know, just, like, they, we see them following him. Smoke bombs. Yeah, some smoke bombs. They got the tubes that the Phantom of the Opera uses to get around his lair underwater and everything. Those little bamboo shoots. Yeah, those look like, um, are those like ancient snorkels? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I used to see those in cartoons all the time. Because we see early on, right? Like he sees in his reflection in his sword, like the bamboo shoots. And I'm like, I don't know what that is yet. And then he like goes and he cuts down those bamboo trees and there's guys in there and he kills them. And then like later in the movie, we might have even seen it earlier, I might have just missed it. But like toward the end of the movie, they have the ninjas like that you see them getting out of the water with the bamboo. So you're like, oh, okay, like that paid off. Like he just is, he knows what to look for, but he's being trailed, he's being tailed by these guys, right? So pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I like that one a lot. Whenever we got to the point with the guns, Rachel looked at me and was like, this got Westworld real fast. <laughs> that's, that's a cool parallel. Yeah. Especially when the parks start sort of like merging. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, you get to that like one open part and it was like, okay, you know, like swords, couple guns, couple guns. And then like he like flips the cart down, Gatling guns, like wh- or whatever. Like he has the guns all in the cart, which I was like, this is one of the most badass parts of this movie. This is the payoff that I was waiting for. It made me feel good about watching this. And then it turns into like a full Western out of nowhere. That was a true surprise to me, him having having like not him having some six shooters because i figured he just stole those from the gunslinger that they killed together but that like he was able to sort of fix his cart this way i mean he does wander around a lot off screen and we don't exactly know what he's up to when we're not seeing him but like that was a true shock and for him to sort of um like embrace that technology was cool too like i just you know there's something about him that seems so traditional and honorable and yet like 
he can kind of still cheat in a way. You know, like, again, I think he throws his sword again in this movie, straight into someone's fucking forehead or something, and they seem shocked. They're like, what? <laughs> like, you're not supposed to throw your sword. Like, he breaks all the rules, but he still comes out on top. And that's kind of what the end, what he comes around, like, when the guy has, like, the, you know, the discussion with him, he's like, you know, I was shamed because, like, I knew the only way that I could survive this was to, like, fight these guys, but that's not, like, the honorable way to do it. And he's like, yeah, I would have fought them too. Like, yeah, I'll bend the rules. Like, th- that was the whole, like, true samurai. What is a true samurai? And they're like, you know, these are the samurai rules. And he's like, no, but, like, you have to be a badass sometimes. And the guy's like, thanks. That's what I wanted to hear. Speaking of throwing the sword, I was surprised. Eventually, it worked out because he knew how many shots the guy had left. But, like, when he was being pursued by that last guy after he kills everybody. Oh, so Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry? Isn't that? Well, interesting because, like, I was thinking, I'll come back to that in a second. Okay. I have a thought about that, too. Not about Dirty Harry, but very related. Okay. But I was like, why are you not throwing your sword at the dude on the horse? Like, you could clearly kill him. We've seen him do it before. Throw your sword. Like, stop dodging bullets. Or the little knife. The little knife that you yeah. threw, like, through the middle of the gun to stop that. Like, you could have just knifed him right in the side of the neck. You know we can't. Like, we know you can. Also, like, that guy is just, like, showing off. He's like, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm just going to shoot these swords out of your hands. And, like, ha, ha, ha. And then, you know, he uses all his bullets. And then Lone Wolf's like, okay, now I'm going to shoot you. It's like, oh, that's cool. The reason I was, like, Dirty Harry is because toward the end, when there's that guy, Kenbai, um, the other, you know, the Ronin who at the end he kills, when they're dueling the second time, they're framed in front of, like, the bluest blue sky and i'm like this is like good bad and the ugly like this is like that final duel so i had in my head clint eastwood in that and you're like dirty harry I was like no that's not what that's not what i'm thinking like but dirty harry's the the how many shots kid was he out yet was he a movie i'm not sure of the history but it is very sort of the man with no name dirty harry came out in 71 also guys guys dirty harry was not the first person to ever count shots no i know <laughs> i know but i'm saying like these guys are all watching the same movies right like this is this is what it comes down to Clint Eastwood films, <laughs> spaghetti westerns, American westerns, like American crime stuff, and yeah, I, I could see that, totally. Like, pop culture's pop culture, no, no matter what, so like, if these guys are like, oh, we're gonna make this thing, like, they were probably inspired by, you know, just the same way that Tarantino, like, watched all of these movies to make his movies, it's like, you know, it, it just all happens at the same time. Well, yeah, especially if, like, they're making, to your point, and that's why I, that's why I was thinking, why I wanted to bring up Good, Bad, the Ugly, even though I just, I had thought of it, but, like, you mentioned this is a Western, so it would track that if they're watching Westerns, like, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly, like, the, the Fistful of Dollars, Man with No Name Trilogy was out in the 60s, so, like, they had access to them, I would imagine. Like, I don't know exactly how cinema worked back then, like, if they had to travel or if the films had to come to them, but, like, the films were out in the world, right? And so if they are watching these movies, like, well, what did this guy do next? And he sees Dirty Harry or whatever, like, very clear A to B to C there, too, so... I don't know, maybe, probably, possibly. I think so. I think there's definitely some influences from stuff like that. This one feels so much like a Western to me. They had to be watching Westerns before they made this one. Westerns borrowed from samurai films, and samurai films borrowed from Westerns, and, like, it's a, it's a cyclical thing. Like, Magnificent Seven is the Seven Samurai. They're identical, yes. Well, I mean, Seventh Samurai is a way better movie. Fair. But yes, it is sort of a, re- it's a remake, you know? It's a remake, basically. Because Samurais are just cowboys anyways. Like, that's the whole point. So, yeah, it's the same guy. 
Yep. Lone gunmen's like I totally get a lot of that stuff from Lone Wolf and Cub, you know, Lone Wolf, Lone Gunman, Gun for Hire. Just to quickly go back to that scene, though, Joey, where like the guy is shooting at him and, and he runs out of bullets and stuff like I think that was just a lesson in like, don't be cocky, right? Like you're just you got you had your shot, you should have taken it, but you wasted it. And now you have to pay for it because like you only get you never you know how rare it is to get a shot on this guy. And like you had several. Um, so I really like that sort of uh turn at the end of that little sequence where he was out of bullets. It's a good use of that cliche. Yeah, and show, don't tell. Like, he he didn't even have to say, like, oh, you should have taken your shot. I hate when they do that, right? So... My one big sort of, like, not problem, but the one thing I really wish happened, and that I wish happens down the line, because it feels like they're really teasing this, is that he teams up with a woman, like, finally. I thought Teresa was definitely gonna... Because she's such Mm -hmm. a badass, like, she's a gunslinger. Like, I thought for sure she was gonna be, like, by his side at the end of this movie joining in against the entire army when she saw how many people were there and in the last two movies you know we got pretty close or at least in the last one especially uh, it almost seemed like you know he was going to pick up a traveler or something so I don't know I hope that something like that happens down the line but uh, even when Bond partnered up it couldn't last past the fucking credits maybe he wasn't destined to to have a third to their party after all on top of that, I'm glad that you brought it up, but, like, this is now, like, the third movie in a row that we don't see just, like, helpless women the whole fucking time. She's, like, running the, well, the Yakuza gang that she's in, but, like, she's still the boss, right? So, like, I thought that was really cool that we see these movies in the 70s that, like, have all of these strong women being, like, authority figures in a weird way. Uh, granted, they make them a lot of the times in these movies bad guys, but it's still cool that they're like, oh, like, she's, like, running a troop of men around, so I was like, oh, interesting. You know, unfortunately, at the times, like, she is running a brothel. Yeah. She's a human trafficker. True. I mean, for all intent and purpose. She's probably at the height of her, of what could be attained in her career in the <laughs> yeah. world. That's admirable. Maybe she pops back up again down the line. That'd be cool, too. Like, I would like to see more sort of repercussions be addressed. Because we get a little bit in this where it's, like, one or two lines about, like, the Yagu clan yes. and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, the dude's from, like, the other movies. I would like to see some more maybe things come back that we've been dealing with. Like, we didn't even get a shot of the Shogun in this in his, like, crazy wild hair. Was the guy with the guns the same guy from the second movie? I don't know if I just watched them too close together, but I want to know if they were, like, the same guy. No, I don't think so. Like the guy with like the long cur- like the long hair that he like attacks in the river. He wasn't in a previous movie, right? No, he seemed to have a very distinct look to yeah. himself. And that's something else that I think like I hope for more down the line too is that we get more sort of distinct looking bodyguards. I'm thinking like Street Fighter 2 or something. You know, I just want people to have like a gimmick, like more wrestling style, <laughs> I guess, sure. you know, like I want the angry tiger and him comes out and he's wearing like fucking tiger skin or something i don't know (laughs) i dig it i'm with you the only other note that i have and this is something that we talked about in the first episode we did on too fast too forever was the use of silence and after he says no to the second guy the first guy hires him to kill the second guy right and he Mm -hmm. goes to the second guy he's like kill this other guy he says no and there's like probably a minute and a half of him like just standing there like silently still with the sword drawn or about to be drawn and then just no sound and he like slowly walks out and i'm like yeah that's pretty cool it's super badass. It's very slow. And the guy gets all mad. He's like, why didn't you? He's like, well, if, you know, if we drew on him, like, you would be dead. So, like, thank us. Like, you know, we didn't mess up. So I thought that was pretty cool. I agree. I really like that. And now coming back from Shogun Assassin to these movies, 
exactly what you guys were telling me before I watched them, that, like, yes, this plays with silence really, really well. Just let the movie breathe and have, like, quiet parts to it. And I find that, like, very calming and reassuring, like, as I'm watching it. It's comforting for me to just, like, not have sound blasting at you the whole time. It's weird now, because we have all these new movies that are just, like, sound walls the whole movie to have something that has so much silence in it. Yeah, that's something that this retains from the previous episode. What they do when they play with sound, you know, the meaning of sound. And, stuff. and so when something cuts out completely, you know that it's of like the utmost importance or that he's like really honing in on this moment really gives it an extra sense of importance that you're right. Other more contemporary movies would put a huge fucking sting right there. And the scene Joey was talking about, it would be like, dun dun, and it would last until he crept all the way out of that door. But like to have it be silence and just like everyone's holding their breath because like he's probably, you can't see his face, but he's probably looking in the reflection of his sword to see who's gonna fuck with him and they all aren't no one's gonna dare and you know that because you know like the still of the of the air and everything no one's making a move no one's gonna do anything and stuff so you know well i guess you know that's nothing budgetary right like if anything you're saving on that on that sort of technique that you do you know so i can understand the blood costing money i can understand like we can't get you know as many horses or whatever but like we could always just cut out the sound yeah Unless there's anything else that you guys like to mention that you liked or didn't like, we can uh, move on to the end of the show. Yeah, let's do it. I'm just looking forward to the next movie when we cover that on the uh, the Patreon sometime. I don't know when, like, we'll have recorded by the time this episode comes out, but it'll, it'll be out soon, you know, later this week probably or something. So check out TooFastTooForever.com for the fourth one. I'm just, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm just cautious but optimistic, right? Like, yeah. I, I hope it's good. Like, I know it can be good, but I'm also a little worried just because I, I don't know where we're going to go. I agree. I'm 100% right there with you. Yep, I feel the exact same way. Yeah, and I'm in it to win it at this point. You know, whether I like them or not, I'm finishing all six. This isn't like when I tapped out of the Pink Panther (laughs) series after like four or so because I just wanted to jump in front of a bus. (laughs) I have good feeling about what's to come, and I look forward to the rest of this series very much. Joe and Joe, too, where can our listeners find you out there? Let's do some plugs. Every Tuesday... New episode of Too Fast, Too Forever. You were on, I guess this would have been the most recent episode. This is Monday, May 3rd. So last week's episode, the most recent one on the feed, you were on for the first installment, the Shogun Assassin movie, the first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Tomorrow, we have Hobbs and Shaw Lap 8 coming out with Heather Antos. We have 176 episodes right now, plus our Patreon bonus episodes of Too Fast, Too Forever.com. Next lap starting soon at the beginning of June, I think, end of May, beginning of June. So, you know, we're about a month away from the next lap, the next go through go round of all these but go check out too fast too forever wherever you get podcasts awesome and uh, listeners out there donate to the patreon to hear us talk about some more lone wolfing cub over there at too fast too forever well guys thank you very much for joining me here over on my show for this very special crossover event and i look forward to talking to you more about more adventures of lone Wolf and cub thank you very much thank you mike
that's going to do it for this blood-soaked episode of Third Time's a Charm. Domo arigato to the Joes of Too Fast, Too Forever, Joey Lewandowski and Joseph Too. Thanks, bros. Talk soon. And be sure to head over to their feed for more Lone Wolf action, as well as their Patreon, for exclusive access to shows early, as well as episodes just for donors. Check out my other show, The Monsters That Made Us, with Dan Cologne, as we take a look at all 31 original Universal monster movies and more. That is the last Friday of every month. We're having a blast over there, talking about the early days of horror, and I hope it never ends. Who knows? Maybe one day in the distant future, we transition into the kaiju that made us, and I finally get to talk about Godzilla until the 300-story mutated cows come home. Also, check out the other shows I do with Joey. Cage Club Prime is still going strong. Nick Cage released two things so far this year. That Curse Words Netflix show and Willy's Wonderland, which is now available on Blu-ray. We also talk about Keanu, Hanks, Tom Cruise, and much, much more. All that can be found for free at cageclub.me, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash cageclub. You could also find this show anywhere podcasts can be found online or offline, legally or not. And until next time. Three, that's a magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Three, they stubbing me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?